You are listening to Church at the Oaks podcast, where we exist to send disciple makers of Jesus by being disciple makers of Jesus. For more information about our church, such as services, upcoming events, or how to join a group, please visit us at churchattheoaks.com. I'm completely blown away at, uh, at what God has done to start uh, Church at the Oaks. I, I was sitting there with Jessica the other day, my wife Jessica, and um, you ever have those moments where you're just kind of watching the officer parks and wreck or something, but you're having some deep thoughts at the same time? Is that just me? Um, and so I'm sitting there, she's sitting on the couch, and the kids were asleep, and I just looked over there, and I'm like, isn't this nuts? Like, isn't this insane that we're like, God's put together this group of people, and like, we're actually, we're starting a church. She looks at me like I was a little crazy, and then we just kind of went on about our lives, right? But there was, it's, there, there is something pretty, in, in, I've never been a part of planning a church before. I don't know if any of you have either, and it's just a beautiful thing to say that when, when God brings some people together with a common purpose and a common mission and a common commitment to the gospel, that the, the collective effort, the collective thing is called a church, a local expression of the body of Christ. And that's what we're starting. There's just a beauty in that and a power in that that I just, I, I, I can't, um, I just, I haven't gotten over it. I can't get over it. I, 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 when I was getting ready for this, you know, this, this service, I started thinking, like, what do you say at the grand opening of a church? I, I don't know, I've never done that before, so I was thinking about, you know, what do you, what do you say? What, what's the most appropriate thing that we can do to, to kind of begin our time in, in the Word together? And, and well, since we're, we're a church that believes in the power of the Word of God, the power of Scripture, we're just going to go ahead and dig deep into the Bible this morning. That's, that's what I thought we would just do. So that's what we're going to do. So if you get a copy of God's Word, that's, we're going to spend a lot of time in it, and we're going to spend a lot of time in the book of Acts, and we're also going to be looking in the book of Philippians in chapter 1. So, um... We are going to like, be kicking off a series in the book of Philippians, and there's a lot of reasons for that. And so the next eight to ten weeks of the church, we'll be walking through the book of Philippians together, and it's just this profound and beautiful book, and so we're going to spend uh, all the time necessary to slowly walk through this and make sure that we're getting everything out of it that we, we possibly can. So Philippians is a book that it, it challenges us to decide who we're going to identify ourselves with. If we're going to identify ourselves with our culture around us, if uh, or really anything else, or, or if we're going to find ourselves or find our identity in the person of Jesus Christ. And then the book of Philippians also helps us figure out how to walk that out every day, because like claiming an identity in Christ and then practically what you do with that is, is somewhat more difficult. And so Philippians is going to show us how we can be people who are living out the, the faith that, that most of you in the room probably have, and how we can walk that out. So this is, it's a it's really encouraging and helpful and practical and challenging book. But this is why I think it's so fitting for us. As we're starting a new church, this is why I think it's so fitting. Paul is writing to the very first church that he planted in Europe. The first church that Paul planted in Europe on all his missionary journeys, Philippians, like Philippi, the church at Philippi was the first church that he planted. And this is the first and only church that I'm ever going to plant, so I thought that would fit, right? And so Paul's writing to a church plant, and then so we're just going to read Paul's words to a church plant. That's a little bit older than ours at this point, but not, not that much. It's an appropriate place to begin. And when Paul is writing, he's writing to encourage this new church and the way that they should go. And so I hope as we walk through this book together that we'll be encouraged in the way that we should go as well. So today, I want to look at the way the church at Philippi was started. I want to look at the way that it happened and how Church of the Oaks is kind of following in their footsteps, hopefully, and what that actually means for you. Okay, so we'll look at the way that they were started. We're going to be trying to line ourselves up with that and then see what, what practically that might mean for you and for me as we go forward out of this place. All right, it's a little bit of backstory. Um, Paul is writing from prison. He's probably in Rome at this point. It's 62 AD, just 20 years before this. Um, Philippi became famous 
as this place where um, uh, the it's, it's folks, Mark Antony, I don't know if you remember your like high school history, okay, but this is high school history, okay, where Mark Antony and Octavian defeated the Roman Republicans like Brutus and Cassius, the guys who killed Julius Caesar. They're like, I thought that was just a story. Yeah, that happened. And then like they, they kind of settled a bunch of their like victorious soldiers. They stuck them all in Philippi. And like, great, you get a brand new town. And that's Philippi. And a little bit later, Paul shows up. And he starts sharing the gospel. And, and something pretty incredible happened. So this, this place, this Philippi, was a gateway to the rest of, the rest of Europe. It was kind of really strategic place where Paul showed up, and I don't even know if he necessarily recognized the strategic nature of it and how it was this gateway to the rest of this, this, these people. And that's how I feel about Tuscaloosa. When I first felt called to Tuscaloosa, which I'll tell you about in a little bit, yeah, I, just, I was struck by just how profoundly strategic a place like Tuscaloosa is. A city where there's maybe 10,000 people a year moving onto campus, and there's in a, in, a, in, a, in a city that's wrapped around that, has the opportunity to encourage and support and build up and invest in college students, and then send them out well, because those 10,000 that show up every year, those 10,000 are also leaving every year. And so if, we, if you could be a church that was positioned in a place like that, to hold the gospel high, to hold up the word of God, to be equippers and sustainers and, and encouragers of those who are going to be coming and going and sending them out to be people who change the world, that's a pretty significant place. So Paul shows up in this um, strategic location and, and, and just starts trying to figure it out. And so as a church of the Oaks, we were trying to figure it out too. So if you've got your Bible, you can go to Acts chapter 16, and we can look at the story of how uh, Paul and Silas and their team, they show up in Philippi, and they're like, all right, now what do we do? What do we do? Verse 6 begins like this in uh, Acts chapter 16. It says, and they went through the region, uh, region of, uh, you know, I've debated how to pronounce that. I'm not real sure. I'm not even going to try it. So they went through there in Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they'd come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Isn't that interesting? They had intended to go over into Asia, but then the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to do that. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And then just kind of hung out there for a little while. And then it says, in a vision, finally, it appeared to Paul in the night this vision in the night, and it was a man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, he immediately he said, we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. This, the, the, the first thing I want you to see is that Philippi was, was planted not by Paul's will, it wasn't like Paul just decided, you know what, this is a really strategic location, and like we're just going to kind of muscle up, we're going to show up, we're going to do this thing, and it's going to be great. Like, it wasn't planted by Paul's will, but it was planted by God's hand. And so if we're looking at the story of how the church at Philippi was planted. I want you to see first and foremost that this thing, whole thing was, was led by the Spirit. It was successful because it was led by the Spirit. It wasn't some people's plan or idea. The Spirit of God was directing them and calling them and equipping them and sustaining them to do what God wanted them to do. So these people, so Paul and Silas, they're led by the Spirit, and you can just see the Spirit all over this. You see the Spirit preventing them from going where they wanted to go in the first place, right? And so I've talked to a lot of people on our team and said, well, how'd you end up in Tuscaloosa? And a lot of times the story is, I'm not entirely sure. Um, I wanted to do this, I wanted to do that, but God brought me here, and 
For a long time, I wasn't completely sure why this. Several of the people on our team have said, maybe, maybe helping plant Church of the Oaks, being a church planner, is why God stuck me in Tuscaloosa for my college career. There's a lot of us that live in Tuscaloosa that um, maybe intended to live in Tuscaloosa for a while, and then we just, we're here for life. We just has this gravity to it, and you have, it can't, sometimes you can't escape it. I'm back. I've been gone since 2007. I never thought I'd be here. I told my parents explicitly that I would never get to live in Tuscaloosa again. This just was not, not going to happen. We had all just accepted it. It's just not going to be a part of things. So the Spirit prevents them from going one way that honestly seemed to make more sense. Does God, do you ever feel God redirecting your path by closing doors? Where there's, there's times that you thought you wanted to go this way, you thought this plan was going to be great, you thought you were going to, this would be more successful, this would be more fun, this opportunity was opening up, and then those doors slam shut, and there's this disappointment and this, this frustration sometimes, some confusion about why in the world. I thought this, this made perfect sense. And that door closes. I think a lot of times God chooses to, to guide and direct us by closing doors as much as opening them. Because a lot of us, I man, we're really good at making plans. We like to run through doors. And when, when a door looks open, we're liable just to run through it, whether it's a good idea or not. So thankfully, in God's mercy, he shuts some doors sometimes. It's always frustrating, though, isn't it? And so Paul has this plan that makes more sense to go to Asia, but God shuts that door, makes it clear. And then finally, after a period of waiting, makes it clear which direction that they should go. Listen, we make lots and lots of plans. But the plans that I want to follow, the plans I want our church to follow, the plans I'm hoping that you are trying to follow is the plan that the Lord has for you, not another one. So the first thing we see is see the Spirit preventing it from going one way, and then the Spirit clearly calls them in a completely and unexpected direction. Like we, like that's, he just redirects. So God changes all those plans in a moment. There have been some times when God's changed your plans in a moment. There's been a lot of times recently. I was planning a church during a pandemic that God has change all of our plans in a moment. Just shut things down and pick them back up and his shuts the door, but then when there's a door shut, there's another one that opens. I remember the moment that God called us to Tuscaloosa, called me to do this, called my family to do this. I was in my minivan. I've told you the story maybe before, but like I was in the minivan driving out here to Tuscaloosa and I was fussing about how Tuscaloosa is from, from the students that I knew here, the other pastors I knew in town, fussing about how Tuscaloosa just needs more gospel-driven churches, churches that we're going to make disciple-makers and send out disciple-makers. This needs more of them to do that work, and I'm fussing about how there's, there's not more. Actually, churches kept closing, and I'm just fussing about my hometown, and Jessica's there in the passenger seat, and she just kind of mumbles. She says, man, it just sounds like they need more good churches. And I, I'd, I'd looked all over the place for like somewhere else to, to, to fulfill God's calling on our life, to plant a church. I've been working with the network guys. We've been praying about Mississippi State. Sorry, the Mississippi State guys in the room. It, we didn't, it didn't happen. Um, and, and then they're in the van. God's like, no, no, I'm shutting all of those doors and there's this one that's open. It's not the one you expected. And so we show up and God starts to bring people together who are passionate about the same things and God starts to form a team and that team formed a church and here we are. So the Spirit... Um, the Spirit's done this work, the same work that he did in Philippi. He's done this work in us, where he closed doors and he's opened doors and he's brought us to the exact point that we needed to be. So Paul and, Paul and friends, like they, they follow the Spirit's leading. They didn't go through the door that was closed. They walked through the door that was open and they show up and they're just kind of there. They'd, they'd arrived and, and, and now what? So what they did, they just started talking about Jesus. It's a good place to start, right? If you're trying to, trying to figure out what you're supposed to do in that situation, you start talking about Jesus. So in verse 13, it says, On the Sabbath, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and we spoke to some women who had come together out there. 
There's no synagogue. This town's like just a few years old. Like, there's, there's not a synagogue. There's not like a Jewish contingent or something. There's no group of believers that they can go hang out with. And so they literally just decided, I bet some people went down to the river. And so they just kind of make their way down the river and they sit down with some women, with some women who had just gathered there. And they just started to share. And that's literally the spot where the church at Philippi began, a small group sitting around just talking about Jesus. Over a year ago, um, a small group sat down in Tuscaloosa and just started talking about Jesus and how to follow him well and what that might look like to, to begin a church. And we sat in my living room, and it was um, actually the very first time we did that. I, we hadn't even moved into our house, and so I brought enough furniture to put some people in the living room, even though the rest of the house was completely empty, and we sat around and talked about what if God would like, like, use us in my empty, like, echoey house, you know, to be this first moment of a spark to begin something to help reach people in Tuscaloosa. That's what Paul and them did. They just, they just sat down, went to the river, started talking about Jesus, and they just kept talking. One of the women that was there on that riverbank, her name was Lydia. And in verse 14, it says this, that she was a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God, and the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. So one of the ladies there, her name's Lydia, and, and when it says she's a worshiper of God, that does not and did not mean that she's a, she was like a, a Christian or, or like a, a follower of God. Like it, it means that she, was, that she was spiritually minded, there was an openness there, like she, she was interested in the things of God. But she hadn't trusted and followed Christ. She hadn't put all the pieces together yet. And so as Paul sat down and, and meets this person who's spiritually minded, who has this kind of heart for God but hasn't put those pieces together, Paul can help with that. And they put the pieces together in, in the next verse, having heard the message of salvation in Christ. Lydia and her whole family believed in Jesus and were baptized. It's a pretty solid way to start a church. Lydia started her day not knowing Christ, and she went to bed a follower of Jesus. And I'm praying that that story plays out here. I'm, pr I'm praying it plays out this morning. I'm praying it plays out Throughout the life of this church, that's literally what we're, I'm, trusting, I'm trusting God to do through Oaks. As those of us who follow Jesus simply sit down and talk about Christ with those who haven't put those pieces together yet. Not much time passes before uh, some, some, some problems arise, okay? Like there's always got to be problems. We've faced lots of problems as Oaks so far already, having to cancel things and throw stuff out the window and start over, right? There's been lots of problems. So Paul meet, meets Lydia. She comes to faith in Christ. Her whole family's saved, and then then now it's problems, all right? So, continues on. Paul ends up casting out an evil spirit from this girl. There was a young girl, and she had this evil spirit in her, and Paul um, casts out this demon, and it's just this great moment of celebration, right? It's not. Because she was owned by some people who were profiting from her telling fortunes, and they were absolutely livid that he had, he had done this, or that he had delivered this girl. Like, how, how could you be furious about that? But they were. They were furious that she had been set free, and so they actually had Paul and Silas arrested and flogged and thrown into jail for doing absolutely nothing wrong but just helping deliver somebody out of darkness. And so they're sitting in jail. They're, they're there in jail, and, and they, they're, they're praying, and they're singing hymns to God. They're still worshiping. They're still trying to be faithful. In the midst of turmoil, in the midst, like they could be killed for this. Like There was fear that's got to be a part of that, but instead of caving to all of that, they just tried to be faithful to pray, to worship the God who's faithful. And so um, a little bit of time passes while they're in jail, and then God decides to do something crazy. Maybe you're familiar with the story. In the night, uh, the walls begin to shake, the, the jail begins to shake, and God's shaking the place and, and, and uh, opens all of the doors to the cells. 
in the middle of the night. All these, all the, all the cell doors swing open. And there's a jailer there that was supposed to be responsible for all these people, and he's terrified for his life because he's failed at his duties, and he's about to take his own life. But Paul runs and gets to him, calls him to stop, and encourages him, settles him down, and he shares Christ with him. And in verse 30 of Acts chapter 16, this guy, he utters these beautiful words. He says this, he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He looks at these guys who are trying to share the love of Christ with him, and he just says, what do, I, what do I need to do? All right, I've been listening to you pray. I've been listening to you sing these songs. Like, I've, I've seen the difference in you. Like, what do I need to do to be saved? What's, what's got to happen? I know that's a question that rattles around in so many people's minds. Well, there's an interest in that. There's a kind of maybe, maybe a response to fear. Maybe it's a drawing of the Spirit. I don't know what it is, but sometimes there's that, that, that question rolling around in your head. Like, what, is, what do I actually have to do to follow this Jesus well? Even if folks are too afraid to ask that question. So verse 31, Paul answers them, and they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved, you and your whole household. And so they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. So before sunrise, this Roman jailer and his entire family believed on Jesus, and they were also baptized. They saw the difference in Paul and Silas's life, and they heard the message of Jesus, and they were saved. This is what we're called to do. Like, as a church, like, this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to love a city, love a people well enough to share the gospel with them, to share the gospel with the, the Lydias in, in our city. Like, there's, our city is full of Lydias, people who have believed that God exists but haven't put all the pieces of, of who this Jesus is, what that means for their life, and how they can follow. And they haven't put those pieces together. He just needs somebody to sit down with them like at Manderson Landing and just open the Bible with them and help them figure out how to follow him. We're, we've got to be a church that's here for those people, those Lydias. Our, our city is also full of people like that young girl who are broken and tormented and hurting, walking in darkness, dealing with abuse and pain and suffering and all the marks of evil who just need some mercy and some freedom and some goodness, some counsel in, in their life. We've got to be there for those people. Our city is also full of adults just like that jailer. They're just doing their jobs. They're just trying to get by who secretly fear that everything could fall apart in a moment. There's a lot of people like that in our town. And we've got to be people who need, who, who will go over to somebody's house and grill burgers and just hang out and befriend some people and also talk about life and faith and how that plays out. We've got to be there for those people. Eventually, Paul and Silas, they, they, they leave Philippi, but their hearts stay. They've got to go on to the next place God's called them to go, so they're faithful to do that. They leave, they, they leave Philippi physically, but their hearts stay in Philippi. And eventually, when Paul ends up in prison, his heart's still for Philippi, that church, that, that first church in Europe that they had planted. Philippi sends Paul a gift, and he, and he writes a thank you note. Paul's a pretty long-winded guy. That thank you note turns into the entire book of Philippians. Okay, If you send me a present, I'm not going to write you a book. Just be a thanks emoji or something. I don't know, man. Um, so Paul writes this thank you note, but he, his heart really isn't about just thanking them for a gift. His heart is about encouraging this brand new church and how to press forward and how to follow the Lord well. And so that's how we get the book of Philippians, out of a church plant that was trying to be faithful to follow what God had called them to do. So Paul, as he writes this letter, he's trying to encourage them to press forward, to grow in faith and love, and to make progress He's trying to, trying to like, pull them out of any, any thought that they had arrived. Like, we've, you've made it. Like, it's stable now. Like, you're okay. Like, you've made it. Like, he's trying to pull them out of any, any kind of thought in their mind that they can set back and relax. The whole book of Philippians is, 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 call, is a call to press forward. That's a call that we've got we've to cling to as well. As, as our church gets established and continues to grow and do what God's called it to do, we've got to fight against any, anything that would cause us to set back and relax and say, okay, we're here. 
And so that's one of the reasons I wanted to start with Philippians, because it's this call to press on, to press into what God's called you to do and who he's called you to be, to run hard after the person of Jesus. It's important to know that the word gospel, just the word gospel, like that represents the story of who Jesus is and what he's done. The word gospel appears more proportionately in Philippians than anywhere else in the Bible. Like it's this book that's just saturated with the person and nature of Jesus Christ. It's only 104 verses long. But in these 104 verses, we're going to cover the nature of salvation. We're going to talk about the person and work of Jesus. We're going to talk about how the righteousness of Jesus can, can be attributed to you through faith. We're going to talk about how to become more like him. We're going to talk about heaven and the kingdom of God and generosity and unity and a lot more. There's just so much gold in this book, and we're going to take it apart bit by bit. So this letter is for you, this, this book of Philippians. This letter's for you if you struggle to follow Christ in the modern world. If you find yourself in a modern world where you're not always sure, like, how, how do I follow him in light of all that's going on around me? What do I do? This letter's for you. If you're searching for joy and keep coming up empty, like you're searching for joy in lots of places and you've tried a lot of things and you keep finding yourself empty and wanting, this book's for you. If you really long for deep and godly friendships, friendships that are more than just people to physically be around but people to connect with, Philippians is for you. If you, want, if you want Oaks to be a church that is knitted together, united like, like a family, then, then we've got we've to look deep in Philippians. And if you just want to know Jesus or know how to know him better, this book's for you. So let's, let's actually begin the book. That was the longest intro to a book ever, right? All right? It's kind of, you know, it's little, so he begins Philippians in verse 1 this way. He says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who were at Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There's three things I just want you to see out of those two verses. And then we're gonna, our band's going to come and they're going to lead us again. All right. So first is this. Paul and Silas, they claim the title of servant. They didn't claim the title of church planter. They didn't claim the title of founding member. They said we're servants. And not just servants of people. We're servants of Christ Jesus. So we could unpack that all day long. But I just want to ask you one question. Who or what have you been serving? If they start out this life, Paul starts with, I'm a, I'm a servant of Christ Jesus. Before anything else, I'm a servant of Christ Jesus. Then I, I want to ask you, like, what, who or what have you been serving? That one, that one burned when I wrote it down, all right? I tell like, think deeply on that. That one, that one stung a little bit. If you're serving anything other than Jesus, um, you're going to come up empty. The second thing Paul says that, that I think is significant, he calls these readers, he calls them saints. He calls them saints. So how do they become saints? By being perfect, having it all cleaned up, like you're, they're part of the thing and they're like, you got it going on, so they're, they're the saints. No, it's not at all. They're saints because they had trusted in Jesus' finished work on the cross. They're saints because they are in Christ. So second question I just want to ask you, are, are you in Christ? Are you sure that you're in Christ? Have you, have you trusted him as your savior? Are you following him with your life? Are you in Christ? And last, man, you guys, I see you, come on, you're good. Last one, he says, grace and peace are found in the Father through the Son. I know that like all of us, there's something in us that longs for some, the grace of God, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. And so we're starting Oaks to help people find that grace and peace, to encourage each other to walk in it, to back each other up as we strive toward it. And I want you to get to be a part of that. I want you to get to be a part of a church that is, that is helping people find this grace and peace of the Father through the Son by the Spirit. I want you to plug in. I want you to put down roots here at Oaks. I want you to find community here. I want you to find answers here. I want you to find purpose here. But it's up to you if you want to be a part of it with us. God's an incredible thing to bring us here, but today I want to ask you, if you, if you want to join with us and be a part of starting a church, I want, I want to ask you if you want to be a church planner. 
starting a church like this, it's going to reach out to the Lydia's, it's going to reach out to these, these, these people that are walking in darkness, these guys who are just trying to figure out how to sustain their life. Like, I want, you want to be a part of a church that exists to send disciple makers of Jesus by being disciple makers of Jesus. I want you to join us, because it's pretty great. So I want to pray for us. Um, our band's going to lead us, and then I want you to pray um, how God would lead you. So let's, let's pray together. Father, um, it is a, it's a joy and a privilege to get to... Uh, together just to be in, in this like hotel ballroom that we've made a church because the church is in it. And God, I, I, I'm thankful for Paul's words written to that church plant to encourage them, to drive them forward, to push them ahead. And so I pray that on, on day one of, of, of Oaks that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us challenge us in the things that we've been serving and the things that we've been led by. God, I pray that you would, you would convict us of, of, of um, any apathy, any, like, any distance, God. I pray that we've been seeking that grace and that peace from anything else, that God, you would, um, that you would remind us that grace and peace are only found in you. And God, I pray that you would push us forward. I pray that there's people here that are saying, hey, I, I, I do want to be a part of that, but I'm worried about the time commitment. I'm worried about whatever 